inside the recording studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing very well, Jody. How about you? Good. As you know, I'm sniffling and having trouble breathing due to allergies and nose closures and deviated septum crap. But otherwise, I am okay. Sounds good. What's been going on in your week here? Sleep. During Sleep. the day. <laughs> no. Okay. Working on some I'm music stuff. I'm almost afraid to ask. No. <laughs> no. Working on some music stuff. It has been slowly getting up to the slow lane of speed of new projects coming in. So I just got asked to do some music for a new television show that will be airing sometime in the summer, I believe. Cool. So, yeah. That's cool. exciting. I wish you luck on that. Thank you. Very cool. What about you? I have been nerding out on the NHL playoffs. Ooh. I'm, a, I'm a huge hockey nerd, as you know. So yes. Stanley Cup playoffs are going on, even though my beloved Kings aren't in it. Those um, it, bastards. Ah, rebuild and all that kind of stuff. But that's a completely different podcast, and I don't want to bore you with all of that <laughs> stuff. But well, I am enjoying watching uh, NHL playoffs. Absolutely. Great. Well, I enjoyed watching some Formula One myself recently. Yes. I'm sorry I got you into that, but it is pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> damn you. Damn you. Damn you. Yes, it is your fault. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I shall hang for it. Yes, you will. Yep. So what All is right. today's topic, dude? Well, today we are hopefully helping out some people that are wanting to get into recording or wanting to get their own setups. Yeah. Right. What we thought we'd do is we'll, we'll give some advice on how to kind of put a rig together and things to think about in a few of the aspects that are needed. And hopefully it will help somebody out and take some of the intimidation factor out of it that can certainly be there, I think. Good. Sounds like a good thing to do. Yeah. It's a lot of options, right? And we think, oh, where do I start? But hopefully we'll try to demystify some of this and hopefully Mm -hmm. give you some hints. So Pull out your um, magic wand. What are we starting with? We're... Staying in the future here and assuming you're not going to go back and record to tape. Mm. So the first thing that you need is obviously a computer. Yes. And we are going to go into each step here a little bit more as we go on. But we think we need a computer. Yep. We need to pick some kind of DAW. To some kind of audio software, of course, yes. We need an interface. Mm-hmm. Generally, you're going to need some kind of like MIDI keyboard or input device. That's a little bit of style dependent, but even if you think, oh, I just play guitar, trust me, you're going to want a keyboard at some point. Or it may also depend on the DAW, but yes. Sure. Some kind of monitoring solution, whether that's going to be headphones or actual speaker monitors. We'll touch on that later on as well. Mm -hmm. And last point for recording purposes, you're going to need some mics. Depending on what kind of stuff you're going to be doing, but you're going to kind of need some mics, I would say. So that's a relatively short but concise list. Is there anything there that you would like to add to that? No, that's a good first starting stuff? place, depending on what you're doing. Musically speaking, those are six important things to have. You mentioned there, musically speaking. Yep. Right. There are some questions that we need to ask ourselves if we're putting our rig together. And the first one I would think is, well, what kind of music do you foresee yourself doing? What What's your goal with this? I'm going to do EDM. Then that those parameters change kind of drastically if you're 
going to do that? Or are you going to go, no, I am starting to record myself tracking drums. Right. So those are things that you need to be able to answer before you go in and start purchasing gear and then realize, hey, I'm kind of going down the wrong road here. Yeah. Well, there are several genres that all kind of relate to the same kind of setup, but EDM is not one of them. I just kind of threw that out. But yeah. When you're talking things like rock music or pop music or country or singer-songwriter, all of those genres kind of take the same sort of setup. Whereas right. EDM can be very, very different and can be a little bit more simplistic, depending on whether or not you're using vocals in your EDM. And there are people that don't do that, and there are people that do. So what yeah. type of music that you're doing kind of dictates what you're wanting to use. At least as a starting point. And yes. of course, there's growth that we can do in our gear arsenal. But yeah, another one that would throw in there sort of like the same route as EDM perhaps or any kind of dance music would be if you consider yourself a beat maker or mm -hmm. you want to do like tracks for hip hop artists or anything like that where you could possibly get away with working as you say, in the box, because you might be working predominantly with samples or virtual instruments, that type of thing. Right. Sans but microphone, because you're not doing vocals. Correct. Yeah. And until you get to that point, of course, you're going to need a mic, right? Mm -hmm. What about if you are envisioning yourself, no, I, I don't want to do just that. I want to record live instruments. I want to have the ability to bring people in and actually record some people. Well, what, then you need to think about if you have the room to do it, for one. Two, yeah. what kind of instrumentation you're planning on recording. And generally mm -hmm. speaking, vocals and guitars and bass and those kinds of instruments, they don't require nearly as much sound isolation, so to speak, as would, say, a set of drums. Because drums are very, very piercing. And you can <laughs> soundproof a room all you want and... Then you start having a heavy hitter on drums and suddenly you've got problems because it's going right through those quote unquote soundproof walls if you're not soundproofing them properly. But soundproofing isn't really part of a recording rig. It's just something to consider if you yeah. want to record them. And there's also another route there that we could bring up that I've grown with leaps and bounds as far as the technology and that would be V drums and that kind of style. Yeah, but I, they still make a fair amount of noise. They can, yeah. I mean, they're not super quiet. No. But the feel has developed there. So if you are a drummer and you look, oh, I want to do that, you, if you can get around on a V-drum kit or something like that, that might be another avenue. Yeah. So something to think about. But now we're sort of going off track here a little bit because this is very specific right. uses. I, that I blame you. It's your that. fault. You will hang for it. But the thing to think about when it comes to recording live instrumentation is how many instruments... And how many people do you wish to be recording at the same time? Because that will dictate how big of an interface or interface setup you will need. And especially if you're doing drums and you're doing live drums and you're miking each individual drum, you're going to have a lot of inputs that you're going to need. Took the thought right out of my mouth. I was just going to say that, but absolutely. Then there's a whole nother parameter as opposed to, you know, if you're recording guitar and vocals at the same time or just the one guitar, you might just be DIing something. Sure. Right. Those are questions that will have to be answered. Make a checklist. Yeah. Make a checklist. See what you want to do. Write them out and start somewhere. Now, at this point, it can be really, really overwhelming because you're looking at, oh, my goodness, I'm going to need this and I'm going to need that and I'm going to need a few of these and five of those. And Don't do all that. Of a sudden you're, 
(laughs) (laughs) But it is. I mean, it is a a bit of an investment. It is. It can be very beneficial to ask yourself all these questions because it's it's very easy to not only overshoot what you might need from, oh, I, I want to be able to record a symphony. I need 50 live inputs. But in reality, you end up making beats for somebody and you have one mic. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a but big the other difference. thing can be true as well. Right? Oh, you want to go in on the cheap and then you realize that oh, I'm going to need a lot more than this down the line. Sure, so. sure answer those questions. But I suppose we should start with the individual components. Let's start with the computer. What are some options that we got there, Jody? There's two major platforms with Mm -hmm. three major OSs, right? You've got your Apple platform, which runs the Mm -hmm. Mac OS. And if you're running virtually, you can run the Windows and or Linux. And then you've got your PC side, which predominantly will run Windows, and Linux. Mm -hmm. But even before we choose the OS, we might want to consider also, again, what type of recordings are we going to do? Are we going to get a desktop? We're going to be a very stationary type of thing or a laptop if we want to be able to not only take it with us on the road or do remote recording, that type of thing. That question becomes a situation of, are you planning on being a stationary studio or a mobile studio? Because obviously you don't want to be dragging around a Mac Pro for a mobile studio. It's much better to have something like a laptop to go mobile yeah. with. I can only imagine what the insurance would be on on that. Don't know. <laughs> like I haven't lo- looked. Logging around a twenty five thousand maxed out Mac Pro, and <laughs> no, it goes my backpack. Here we go. Yep. One thing to uh, point out there as well, I think, with the desktop versus laptop type of situation, it used to be a very real thing when the laptops simply weren't as powerful as the desktop models. Yes. And sure, if you are comparing to a high-end Mac Pro today, that's still the case, but the laptops are super powerful and are a very valid option, even if you consider yourself just being in the stationary studio, a top-of-the-line MacBook Pro will take care of you, you know? Yeah, and I so would imagine the same thing on a PC end of things, too. However, sure. that being said, I do know a couple of producers that have both, but obviously we're talking mm-hmm. about beginners for the most part, talking about their recording rigs that they want to get together, that kind of thing. Generally speaking, most people already have a laptop. So Mm -hmm. maybe you don't need to buy a new computer just because you want to get into recording and your current computer might already be enough to run a DAW. Absolutely. Now, the only thing that we want to think about that is if said laptop, let's say, oh, I've had this because I was going to high school and I needed a laptop for homework and doing all this kind of stuff. Some of the machines out there, and this is not just a PC versus Mac type of thing. This is just laptop reality that they're not necessarily powerful enough to do extensive work that you might want to do. But some of them are possibly going to be powerful enough to get you up and running. So I think checking into, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I have to confess I'm not as knowledgeable about the PC side with the processors and things as I am on the Mac side. But if you have a fast enough processor with hopefully multiple cores you're probably going to be set no matter how you do. So sure. it comes a matter of storage and a RAM issue, I think. Definitely a storage thing, especially if you have to decide what sample rate you're planning on recording at. That becomes a big issue because 
Most people starting out will probably start at 44.116 or 24-bit recording, which is plenty good enough for the beginning recording engineer. Yeah, I say even before you start thinking about that is almost how you want to think about, well, what type of music am I going to do? Am I going to do a lot of sample-based stuff? Then RAM becomes a bigger issue, right? Because yes. the computer tends to store samples in RAM for fast access. So I would say I would not go lower than 16 gigs. In a current computer, if you're buying yeah. it today, yeah, you wouldn't want to go less than 16 gigabytes. If you have less than that, it doesn't mean it wouldn't work. It just might be a little limiting in what you can load into RAM as you're working. This is true. That, now, obviously, that means that we're talking about virtual instruments and things as samplers, not triggering one-shots, but everything that could be orchestral stuff or something like that. Large sample libraries when you have multiple velocity layers. Giant synthesizers with massive amounts of voices, that kind of thing. Yeah. My current machine gets mad sometimes when I get a little too aggressive with contact and it, it <laughs> does it throw starts out, like nudging me throwing punches at you or something it gets mad huh screaming and yelling. yeah it goes hey uh you're trying to load a little too many samples here uh mm. back off a little bit buddy so i have to rethink some things you can fill up those 16 gigs rather quickly yes if you can not careful in addition to that it's a very good idea in current day and age of digitally transferring this show to your ears ssd drives are the way to go Yes. When it comes to working on recording, playback, and playing samples and whatnot, as you were just speaking of. Yeah. and Storage wanna... is a different issue. Storage, you can get the old spinny type hard drives, but for the production environment, SSD is the way to go now. Yeah. And that's simply because they're just much faster at retrieving data. How would you go if, or how would you advise people on external drives or just working off of the internal the theory goes, for most things, I would have external drives, generally mm -hmm. speaking, mainly because I don't like to fill up my system drive with recording because it's hard on hard drives to constantly be recording and playback, recording and playback, because it is a read and write situation. Even on playback, it's reading it and rewriting it back to the drive. So I prefer external drives for all of that. I don't like to record to my internal drives. Even with my portable rig, I take a portable external drive. That yeah. is me. Doesn't mean that you can't get away with recording to your system drive. I just don't prefer it. I agree. I, I prefer the external drive as well. And it might just be that it's a sort of workflow hangover from days of yore. It is, it, it makes it, like you said, it's a work power that has to be taken up by the hard drive working processing yes. on the same drive as it's running the operating system. I also think that just for archiving purposes and everything, you have all your material on the external drive. Should something happen to your system drive when your system just gets hosed, you still have all your music and everything on a separate drive. So yes. that's another issue there as well. Have I experienced that many... in the past. Yes, it's a good idea to have external drives and additionally backups. Backup, backup, backup. I cannot stress that enough. When you consider getting a recording rig, get extra drives for backup. Nobody does it until they lose an entire project. Or more. That's when people, <laughs> yeah, that's when they start backing up. Those spinning drives, I don't want to mention the company, but it starts with L. I've, I've, <laughs> I know who you're I, talking I, about. I've lost 
at least two. They just stop working. Two or three, just done. Nope, not going to spend anymore. It's yes. frustrating to say the least. Understood. So we got our machine. We got a powerful processor, as powerful as we can afford. Multiple mm -hmm. cores, preferably. We got ourselves about 16 gigs of RAM. Or more. Or more. We have an external drive, hopefully, for samples or projects. We should probably mention that it depends also, but the internal drive. Mm -hmm. I say today, anything less than one terabyte You're is- You're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, you are. So we got our, our system sorted, the hardware that we're going to run. Then what's next on the list, Jody? The audio interface. How do you get yeah. that audio that is happening in the real world if you're recording instruments into the computer or if you're doing everything virtually, how do you get it back out to your ears? Yep. That's so the now audio interface. That's the audio interface. And that is like we've talked in the past about preamps and converters, all of that in one nice little unit. Yes. That takes care of all that for you. Mm -hmm. Now we have a lot of options and parameters to work with, obviously. Sure. What do you kind of look for now? What you're looking for now, obviously, is way different than Very different, yes. what it was when you started out. Mm -hmm. What are some questions that you would advise somebody to ask themselves when they're, when they're choosing an interface? How many inputs do you need? And that's based on that earlier question that we were talking about, type of music and how many people you want to record at the same time. Most yeah. people starting out generally can get away with a two-input interface, which is yep. about as small as it gets. Now, there was a point, and maybe they're still making it, I'm not sure. The Apogee 1 was a single-input yeah. device mm -hmm. that worked via USB. The other thing that you have to think about is not only the number of inputs that the interface has, is what connection are you making from the interface to your computer? And Very important. Generally speaking, at this point now, as of this digital recording, is USB-C is probably the way you want to go, mostly because that's where all the manufacturers are pushing things to go. You can get away with older devices that are USB-A, and then you could use an adapter if you have a newer computer that is USB-C, and then use the adapter to transfer it to USB-A to connect the audio interface. But you want to make sure that that is a possible connection. Some interfaces can't do that, some can. Which is why I'm thinking when you buy the computer or if you already have the computer, you think about the interface that will work with that computer. The next thing you want to think about that has to do with your number of inputs and the type of processing you want to do. Some interfaces can actually do onboard processing. Some cannot. That mm -hmm. is also something to consider. That's one of the things that you and I kind of half joke about here. You being a universal audio guy and a big proponent and universal audio have onboard processing yes. of varying degrees in their units that, that takes care of that. So it unloads right. the, the computer some. It's not like I'm against it, but I'll take it the stand against it here. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of this episode, my stance is that the premium that you're paying for the onboard processing doesn't necessarily, in my view, equal what you get on in the native systems. That being said, it doesn't mean that 
universal audio or like they used to be like the old uh, TC electronic power core and all these onboard processing units mm -hmm. are bad. They're not. They're fantastic. And the UA certainly do amazing stuff. But a question might be also like, are you willing to go into that ecosystem? If you have gotten into that, let's say universal audio and you're buying their plugins from there, your chances of getting out of that is less because you have a more of an investment in there. Sure. It might be wonderful investments and working awesomely for you, but those are questions that you need to ask yourself, I think. There, end of rant, your rebuttal, <laughs> sir. Well, if we talk a little bit about ecosystems, early on in the world of doc recording with eMagic, before it was mm. purchased by Apple and becomes mm. just Logic, eMagic yeah. was the creator of Logic. They are still the development team on it. They also had a small ecosystem of their own where they developed a audio card, which went into your computer for the input and output of the audio. I happened to purchase that. Later, it was dumped when Apple bought it. So it was no longer a valid option for use going forward, at which point I then switched to the Mark of the Unicorn setup. And that lasted mm -hmm. me for quite some time. That was a very capable audio interface. Still are. Still yeah. are, still is, still yeah. make great stuff. And the difference between the two was that the eMagic card had two inputs and I think four outputs plus a MIDI in and out. The Motu had the same thing, but it had eight ins and eight outs. Or did I have the four and four? I can't remember now. It's, oh, the memory's going. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Yeah. Once that changed, when I had a computer die, the new computer that I bought no longer could connect to the Motu unit. Uh-oh. See previous point. <laughs> yes, see previous point. So now, not only was I having to purchase a new computer, I had to purchase a new audio interface in order to work with that computer. And that's when I put my eye on the Universal Audio Apollo system, mainly because I had already had an Apollo PCIe card. So I was already kind of in the system, so to speak, with the universal audio stuff. But I figured going forward, I'd like to have an interface that can work with the Apollo system because I already had the plugins that I was using. And it had the ability to record using certain newer plugins that they had. And the audio interface that I chose had less inputs. And at the time that I purchased it, I didn't need the extra inputs. Hmm. But over time, yeah. I've purchased another couple of Apollo products to add on to the system. And I now have plenty of inputs, more than the two that I had. It is a constant thing. It's not like you just go out and buy a rig and all of a sudden you're done for a while. Although as you add pieces, you can be done for a bit and then something else comes up and you add more. That's getting away from the scope of what we're talking about, but that's how I made the transition from one interface to another. And it had yeah. more to do with what do I want to work with at this current time? You said something there sort of in passing that I want to bring up because I think this holds some people back. And you're talking about upgrade paths. Yes. And things becoming obsolete. It happens. Yeah, it does. It happens all the time. And if you are in the situation where you want to update your machine or you want to update something, I think we have to resolve ourselves to realizing that as soon as you get something, it there's something new around the corner. Yes. So if you're constantly waiting for the latest and greatest, you'll never jump in because th th that wait will never stop. It's right. not that technology is going to go, okay, we're done now. 
we're done developing. So get in on what you can, be realistic about it. You know, you can always upgrade later and things will have a lifespan. Inevitably, they change and the lifespan yeah. will go or you can stay in the current situation that you have. Had my computer not died, I would have stayed with it until it really went kaput. But it went kaput. Yeah. And so I had to justify getting a whole new setup just because all of a sudden, boom. And then the same thing, you know, the interesting, if I take a little side note point here, a lot of people probably don't remember the transition from OS 9 to OS 10 when it came to the Apple platform, but there was a huge oh, transition <laughs> when that happened. And I decided to make the jump early. And the primary reason why I did that was, is that Logic was already capable of running an OS 10 at that point. Mm -hmm. And I figured why not jump on it early enough and slowly buy all of the plugins and everything else that I needed as they were made to come and work on OS 10? And I know lots of guys that waited at least two years or more to go to OS 10 yeah. from OS 9. And the primary reason was, is they had hundreds, uh, maybe hundreds of thousands is a little bit of an exaggeration, but at least tens of thousands of dollars worth of plugins that they had for free because they got mm -hmm. them cracked. And at the time, there was no such thing as cracked plugins and software in OS X. So I was purchasing things. And one of the things that I noticed is that I never had issues with things technically working together at that point. Whereas with cracked software, people had problems where some things weren't compatible with each other or audio would get screwed up because of the crack. And that's just, just kind of a poke of it. saying, don't, you know, if you're using something, buy it, unless they're giving it away free. Buy yeah. your software. It's kind of stupid and also, to get it cracked. Also today, be, before we, we go to break here, the software that is available today and for the prices that it's available, there's just no need for any of that. You know, Very at true. some point people used that it was cost prohibitive to to get into getting whatever suite of plugins yep. right everything that comes with your DAW today that's available just don't do it don't be that guy or that girl or that person <laughs> so pay for the software that you're using come to one of two conclusions one don't do that or two we can step yeah. outside and and talk it out <laughs> and with that we'll go on to a word from our sponsors all right we're back what are we going to be talking about now well, now we're going into the DAW, the software that does all the hard work besides you sitting in front of it. Right. And uh, which DAW is right for you? Well, if you need help choosing that, you should go back and listen to that episode that we did. We did a whole thing about choosing the DAW. But the gist of it is that there is no right or wrong DAW. It's only what's right for you. Would yes, you but that, let's also kind of state something really quickly here. If money is an issue and you are buying a little bit of a lower-end computer and a lower-end interface in terms of cost effectiveness, mm -hmm. there are a couple of DAW choices that you can make depending on what platform you're deciding to purchase. Mm -hmm. So on the PC side, generally you can get away with free versions of things of like Audacity and Reaper. Whereas yeah. on the Mac side, you can get away with GarageBand that comes with the computer. It's like it's free, comes with the Mac OS and you're done. And all three of those DAWs are very capable DAWs for beginner type of rigs. And even for professional Absolutely. type rigs, it, it really kind of comes down to your knowledge and understanding of how to use it. So let's not like be all hoity-toity about, well, you know, go back to this episode. That's a real quick thing. And then let's also say, go back to our DAW episode. 
<laughs> yeah. No, it, there are so many good options today. And, and I think you still hear it on like internet forums. Oh, this is the industry standard or, oh, if you're not using this, it's shit. None of that is true. It's just completely dependent on what you want to do. And even when you purchase Those arguments still happen too, which is really crazy. Yeah. And the same thing, oh, Mac versus PC. It's like, who cares? It's like boring. Just, you know, move on. Use what Pick you a flat, Choose your platform and go with it and you'll be fine. But I was going to say there are certain interfaces as well that when you buy them, mm -hmm. they will come with a certain piece of software perhaps. Like yes. it could be like a, a version of Cubase or Studio One or anything. So there are a lot Which of options. Which is Personas, by the way. So you don't have to go into this massive thing and try it out and see if it if it works for you. you know? right. If you like GarageBand and you love it, but you're kind of missing some more advanced functionality, well, then maybe you think about Logic. Or if you're collaborating with friends and you're exchanging projects, you might want to see what they're using. So yeah. you can make that happen a little bit well, easier. You know, if but, they're using Reason, maybe you want to use Reason. If they're using Live, maybe you want to use Live. That all comes down to who and what you're doing. Yep. That's that didn't it. come so, out right, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's next? We want to listen to what we're doing, right? Yes, so what, what are we looking at here, Jody? Yeah. You got to have a way to listen to what you're doing. And there are two major pain points on that. One is headphones and two is actual speakers. So mm -hmm. that being said, the type of headphones that you use is a very personal thing. And it also comes down to how long are you going to be wearing those things? Because headphones, some are more comfortable than others. And there is a difference when it comes to that. Yeah. Plus the there other are, difference yeah. that you have when it comes to headphones as a, compared to speakers is that headphones give you no spatial reality. Yeah. So that, that's easy to get lost because that, that's not, why does it sound so different when I hear it in a room? Well, that's why. Yes. Because you're, that being said though, I start seeing more and more of things like the Stephen Slate system that they came out with that is for headphones. Well, it is a pair of headphones, but it has software with it that emulates that. Right. In sort of. When you mean emulates that? You, you have headphones that emulate, emulate headphones? Headphones that emulate the sensation of listening to speakers in a room. So gotcha. it, you know, uh, so there are software things that are coming around that, that it's essentially just messing with how our brains interpret audio. Right. right. And, and yeah. if you're going to talk about correcting software, there is another pretty big deal piece of software called Sonarworks. And what Sonarworks does is it takes the type of headphones that you have, if you've purchased ones that they have created an EQ curve for, and yeah. flattens out that response so that what you're hearing is better for your ability to mix what you're doing. Now, yeah. some headphones, they don't have those EQ curves for. And if you really want them, you can actually ship them your headphones and they will make it for you. It's a little bit pricey, but it can be done. But the biggest thing that I would say when it comes to headphones is comfort. That's the biggest thing. And the other thing that I would probably go with is closed ear covers rather than closed open. Back, yeah. yeah, closed back is what they call them, but closed ear covers or closed back headphones. And the reason for that is, is that you won't get as much audio leaking out of what you're hearing, especially if you're recording into a microphone. You don't want a whole lot of bleed is what we call it from your yeah. headphones. Is it true? Yeah. So there are a lot of things that we can do with headphones and- They're also highly portable. So if you're going mobile, you probably are going to want to have your headphones instead. 
some famous guys yeah. like BT, famous for working on airplanes in headphones. Yeah, but that brings up another point of monitoring them if you're using actual speakers. Mm -hmm. Now here's a whole nother jungle as well, right? Yes. And I think the mistake that some people make is they think that as long as I invest in either bare budget speakers or they completely overshoot it and spend the whole budget on, I got you know, the, the latest and greatest whatever, barefoots, right? And I right. spent like five grand a speaker, right? <laughs> but, but, then yeah, but then they don't take into consideration what their room sounds like. Right. Big so, deal. So big, if big we're deal. in anything that is less than ideal, which is probably 95% of us. Or more. We need to take, yeah, we need to take that into consideration. That just because you have an air quote, good speaker doesn't mean that it's going to sound great in your room because if you're living in a concrete bunker, anything that you play in there is going to sound like garbage, right? Well, so. it's highly possible. The other thing, and we'll go the next step when it comes to the speakers, no matter what speakers that you buy, it's probably still a good idea based on your room and setup to also invest in Sonarworks and yeah. get their reference microphone that goes with the software. Then you can actually take whatever reference speaker that you have and run through their little software steps to correct for deficiencies in your room. Yeah. And that will help immensely for a lot of people, especially if you're trying to record in a bedroom. Yeah, I remember. And mix in the bedroom uh, as well. Yeah, because I am, I believe you are as well, but I am a Sonarworks user. And boy, was it eye-opening when you start running those profiles on both oh, yes. your room and in your headphones. Oh, mm -hmm. my God. God, you think everybody <laughs> likes to say like, oh yeah, our headphones are flat and they give you natural bullshit. You know, they're not. They give and you natural bullshit and they're not, yes. Yeah, you 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 check the curve in Sonarworks and see how hyped your headphones are. It's kind of amazing why sometimes, you, yes. Yeah, it, it's very eye-opening. And then you wonder, well, why don't my mixes translate to whatever other space? Well, that's why. Yes. Because you, mix, you can never mix better than the information you are given through your speakers or your headphones. Because you got to hear it first. Right? Very much so. so. In fact, it, just a quick side note on that. There is a listener that we have mentioned before, and he's actually mm -hmm. offered topic suggestions to us to speak about. And there was a point in time where he sent me a mix and said, hey, what do you think? And of course, the feedback that I gave him is, you've got a real problem in your low mids. Mm -hmm. I suggested to him, I said, I, I know you're a recording environment. I suggested for him to go get the Sonarworks setup. So he did. And when mm -hmm. he corrected it, he goes, exactly the opposite of what was going on in my low bands was happening in my room that Sonarworks corrected. And of course, yeah. that allowed him to hear things a little bit more properly. So his mixes translated better. And it was yeah. kind of interesting because the amount that I was kind of suggesting to him on his low mids was the pretty much almost the exact amount that was happening when he did the measurements using Sonarworks. So not to Such turn this into an ad, well, <laughs> but not to turn it into an ad for Sonarworks, but it, that piece of software is really, it's for people that are recording at home and trying to mix at home, whether it's on headphones or low end speakers that don't cost a whole lot and not in a treated room, it makes a big difference to be able to hear things properly. And Sonarworks really helps that functionality. Absolutely. Highly suggested Absolutely. to get it when you're doing things on the budget. Yeah. Last up, what do we got? Now we got to ask ourselves, well, what's the last step? Well, the microphone. If we are 
tracking or recording singers, if we're miking up cabinets, recording some kind of instrument, some kind of something, we have to consider microphones. And that's another jungle in itself. And it's, it's easy a big to jungle. get lost in it. Very big, yeah. very big to get lost for the forest and the trees or something mm. of that nature. And I think in much the same way that we can look at monitors, speaker monitors, as I'm just going to get the most expensive one I have and it will make everything better is not necessarily true, right? We can get something if we're just going in and we're getting started, don't mortgage your house or sell your car to get the best Neumann mic that you can find on your block, right? Go in. Why not? Get, well, if you want to go for broke, sure, go for it, right? I mean, how much is this really worth to you? Now, uh, all joking aside, you know, start with something simple. If you're just getting going, get an SM58 if you're going to do vocals. And or an SM57. Right. Something that will get the job done. Because at first, the differences between microphones is not what's going to make or break you. It's going to be your songs and your ability to record and mix. True that. And if you are relatively established as a singer, I know my voice, I know this, and I want to have a great mic. Cool. Then you buy a mic that is suitable for your vocal. And that the keyword there is suitable, right? Mm-hmm. Jody, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> suitable. So, How do you yeah. figure out if it's suitable? Mm. You just got to try them, right? That's- you just got to go try them. You don't have to spend everything that you got on the microphone. Yes. You don't necessarily need a $10,000 microphone to get started. Yeah. You're micing up your ukulele with, you know, something extraordinary. So no, just slap a 58 in front of it and you'll be fine. Yes. Just like everything else. So that, that there's a lot of room for growth there. So the more you realize, oh, I'm now I'm going to start doing drums and I'm going to do this. Well, then your mic locker has to grow accordingly. Yes. But when you're just getting off the ground, don't overshoot your budget is what I would say. I concur. I have nothing yeah. to add to that. It's very true. All right. Now, the other so, thing that some people might think about when it comes to microphones is like, well, do I need a mic pre? Generally speaking, as we just answered in a couple of episodes ago, not necessarily. Most audio interfaces these days, the mic pre's built into them are generally really capable for what you need especially for the beginning route as it gets to the point where you're more professional in nature and you want more choices then you might want to think about external mic preamps and that kind of thing or if you're going the software ecosystem route you get into something like the slate system or the universal audio systems where they have emulations of mic pre's that can alter the way the microphone will sound on the way in on the recording end yeah, very true. Very true. So I guess to kind of put a bow on this, we want to think about our computer, getting it as powerful as we can. Pick a software. Pick something that you think is going to work best for your workflow. If you don't know, try out some of the amazing free options that are there first. Sure. The we next thing you're going to need is obviously an interface yep. and quite possibly a MIDI keyboard. Even if you don't think you're going to need it, they're actually very handy to have. You're going to need one sooner or later. Again, there, you don't have to get the latest and greatest from native instruments with all the bells and whistles, just something that can input some stuff. If you want to be cool like Jody, you obviously do that. But uh, <laughs> we, we can only strive to be that cool. No, all joking aside, we want to think about monitoring, right? Headphone yep. route, speaker route. What are you thinking, Jody? For mobile, probably 
Well, for mobile, you, you definitely want to have headphones. For your studio, you're going to probably go with the speaker route. Although I know there are some guys out there who have a fairly nice setup and they just use headphones anyway. So yeah. it just depends on your workflow and how you like to work. Indeed. Anything else to add to that? Start out with an SM58, move on, yeah. get some more mics if you need it. Get them for the need, right? And the sound that they impart. When you're choosing a vocal mic or instrument mic, don't assume that the most expensive one is going to be the best one or the best suited. So I think the best you know, thing to say at this point is do not come down with GDS or GAS. Indeed. And with that, we're moving on to Friday Finds, and we're kicking it off with Chris. Chris, what do you got? I am a huge fan of all the Heaviosity products. You don't say. over at Heaviosity. I do say I am a big fan, big fan. And they do something every once in a while on their YouTube channel, which I always find supremely inspiring. And that's something they call two-hour cues where they have a piece of cinematic music written that they do the breakdowns and to show how they, they're thinking, the way they composed it and the layering and all that kind of stuff. I love those. I think it's also, those are awesome and I always learn something from them. So not a new thing, but they just came out with one this past week and i love them all so yeah is it actually two hours long is that how long it takes for them to go through it no but the sort of premise is that the cue had to have been written in two hours ah gotcha hence the name so so it's sort of like quick turnaround you know the producer calls hey i need a piece of music and i need it by six mm -hmm. go you know that type of thing then they're done that what do you got this week moog announced that they were giving away their iOS apps for free. Ooh. This is in relation to the 87th birthday of the Moog creator. I went and I downloaded two of their synths mm -hmm. for the iOS iPad. How long they're giving away free? I have no idea. They don't say, but if it's within reason of when this podcast it's was released and you have the iPad or an iPhone, I'd run and get it if I were you because it's the exact emulation of how a Moog plays and they have a couple of different ones. You can get it. Cool. Like Very ASAP. Cool. Yeah. Now, how you get that audio straight out of the iPad and into the computer, that's a whole other process and problem right there. But that being said, you can have fun playing around on your iOS device using Moog authentic software for free for now. Good times to be alive. Yes. And with that, while we have your attention, we would like to ask you to go to our website and leave us a review at insidetherecordingstudio.com forward slash review, or you can just go to the website and sign up for our email list. And when you do so, you'll get a present of some presets from Chris and from Jody, who is I, for Slate products and Universal Audio products of things that we use when we're doing our mixing and recording, which is like, hey, that's a fun reason to sign up on the email list. In addition to that, you get weekly reminders of the Tuesday tips that were just released along with the most recent episode that just happened. So that's why you want to be on the email list so you don't miss out on any of this stuff. If you send us an email to goldstar at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word rig in the subject matter, you will get something back in your inbox that is kind of fun. 
And if you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to pontificate upon in a future episode, contact us and we will put it into consideration. And how do you contact us? You go to the website and use the contact page. It's that simple. Do it. And with that, we will see you or you will listen to us next week. Have a good one, Jody. See you later.